No, no, no. She's not a medical doctor, but she can sure cure your tax problems or your financial woes. She's the how-to girl. It's the Dr. Friday Show. If you have a question for Dr. Friday, call her now, 737-WWTN. That's 737-9986. So here's your host, financial counselor and tax consultant, Dr. Friday. All right. Hey, live in studio, I'm Dr. Friday, an enrolled agent licensed with the Internal Revenue Service to do taxes and representation. So maybe you know someone that hasn't filed taxes for a number of years or someone that just has given quite a few of those love letters. And if they have them, then we need to actually sit down and chit chat. It's that simple. We need to make sure that everything is being done because sometimes there are some deals, but I'm not going to be one of those firms that's going to turn around and say, we can say, you 10 cents on every dollar or terrify you that they're going to pitch you in jail. I had a gentleman come in my office the other day and he has a, a situation with the state of Tennessee and his first business, first situation. And he was terrified that they were going to lock him up because he had made this mistake on his uh, state filing. And you know, I get it. You do need to take taxes seriously to the extent that we don't want anything to happen as far as if you don't file taxes on time, if you do things, they will take levies, liens, they can do all kinds of fun and exciting things. But there's also ways of preventing that from happening, mostly communication, and then responding to whatever it is that they're looking to get accomplished. So it's a very important if you're dealing with the IRS, and right now, I know you guys are going to start blowing up the phones because you're going to say, well, we're trying to deal with the IRS, right? We're trying to deal with the situation. And, you know, you can't reach anybody. You don't have any way of knowing if, you know, if you send something in via mail, it could take months. And then by then you're also getting other love letters saying that you're still having to file or they haven't responded um, to the situation. Most of the time you get more collection letters than response letters that's um, to deal with. And so, you know, I know many people, I mean, if you listen to some of the, the information coming out from the White House, one of the things he's trying to do is increase the budget, because for some of you, um, you may or may not have heard, but there was initially going to be a huge hiring for the uh, IRS, and then funding kind of got pulled back on that. So they weren't able to do that. So now under the new budget, I think it's like 15% increase on their budget to help them try to find some funding. But you know, it would be great if they could increase communication. I mean, not so much, I mean, collections, yes, it's it's a part of the, the real world. Everyone has to pay taxes or you pay what you have to pay. But the other side of that conversation is if you have issues, the one thing you hate is to continuously get collection letters and yet you can't communicate with anyone at the IRS. Or if you get somebody after waiting an hour and a half, they say it's outside of their jurisdiction. They can't, they don't have any way of looking at that. They don't have any information. So you've just wasted half a day and they didn't get any more information or the exciting days is when you get on the phone, you wait an hour or so you think it's going to pick up and then they hang up on you. These are not, uh, you know, let's just put it this way. If there was um, a review system, most of us would be out of business if we ran our businesses this way. That being said, I can't say that the tax advocate office hasn't stepped up and helped a lot of my taxpayers in getting resolution or really it, it, it's the resolution side of it. They had a case where they were able to get, but the 
trying to do it through snail mail or fax machines wasn't working. And then it gets to a point where, where I was looking at, are we going to tax court? What are we doing? How's this going to work? So we want to make sure that we have all of those things in line and that everything is going the right way so that you can get done what you need done in the right order of getting it done because otherwise you end up with a lot of situations. So if you've got questions, maybe you're doing your own taxes, uh, big notice, don't forget that if you're an LLC or an 1120S, you've got a deadline of this Wednesday, March 15th, an LLC. Now this is a multi-member LLC. So I don't want all you guys freaking out if you have single members, those fall on your actual tax returns. Therefore they don't uh, fall until April. But if you have a partnership LLC and or a hybrid um, and a sub S corporation. Those are both due on March 15th. Some corporations, C corporations are also due um, at that time, depending on what your deadlines are. Very important to file your extension. Even if you're not filing taxes, even if you get behind, even if you think you're going to have time to file those taxes on time, I'm an advocate for filing extensions because sometimes you don't always know. Maybe you get an extra piece of paper, you weren't able to get something in, you're still waiting for a document from somebody, which then makes your situation a little later. All of that is part of life and you want to make sure that you're able to file everything you can at least on time. So if you want to join the show, it's easy. 615-737-9986. 615-737-9986 is the number here in the studio. We take your calls talking about taxes, obviously my passion in life. Um, always learning, always doing new things, always trying to figure out what the next situation uh, people are. I do want to tell uh, business owners, if you're still, um, if you haven't already and you have actual payroll where you pay people on W-2s and you did that through the years of 2021 and in or 22, all three of those years, um, they do have the ERTC credit still going out there. So it might be something to consider uh, employee retention tax credit is out there and they still will be giving refunds on those. So it's something that you might want to, um, if you haven't done, you might want to consider going that direction, um, trying to get those. Now, keep in mind, ERTC or employee tax, employee retention tax credit is taxable income. You have to go back to the year in which you get the credit and you could end up paying penalties on top of it. The IRS has come down saying that those are corrections. Therefore, you're getting the money from that year and you're going to pay taxes as well as a penalty. Now, there may be a way of getting that penalty reversed or, or re, uh, removed, but I don't want anyone to count on that fact. So if you're going to do this, make sure you know that you're going to have to take care of that in the right direction. So that being said, if you've got a question, 615-737-9986, 615-737-9986. Let's go to Linda, Linda and Franklin. Hey, Linda, what can I do for you? I am working on my uh, rental property section, and mm -hmm. I had uh, one expense was $3,000 for guttering. Can I take that all one year, or do I have to depreciate it? You That would need to be depreciated. It's not a piece of equipment, so it doesn't fall under the accelerated, and it's not really a repair, even though... In your mind, you know, we, we might all consider that a repair, but it's more like an update or a replacement, which requires you to depreciate. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for the question. I appreciate it. Hey, Ron in Nashville, what you have happening? 
Is Hello? it Ron? Hey. Yes. Uh-huh. Hi. Hey, I appreciate you taking my call. Just had a question. My mother passed away in August last year, and she had a trust uh, that was set up under her social, a living trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a, a new uh, EIN number for that trust now. We haven't ever filed anything under the trust. We've always filed as her uh, income under her social. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I got the EIN, the letter I got said that uh, we needed to file uh, under the trust for the past years, but we haven't uh, we haven't done that because we've reported everything under her social and everything's been reported and paid on. So is that true or? Right. No, no. All you want to do, once someone passes away, the trust now becomes active. You get a federal ID number in that, and it only moves forward. There's no backwards. I mean, it, like you said, it's all been filed, un, assuming under her name and everything's been done. But from the point that she passed away, I'm assuming the letter says to file a form 1041 on or before 415 or 18 or whatever the due date, depending on the year. Um, that you have it. Now, sometimes trust can go into calendar years or fiscal years, so I don't know which the deadline might be for you, but yeah, it's only no. for the year, it's only for after she has passed away. Okay. Um, and one other, so for this sure. year then, we will use her social for her final return. You may have a split year this year, in, in all honesty, because she didn't last until December 31st, unless she did it actually goes into effect. So theoretically the trust picks up the day after she passed away. So you would do a personal tax return from January till she passed and then a trust tax return for the period after. And they should give you separate forms. If they don't, you may need to do an actual spreadsheet because interest dividends, all of that, if they're giving you one as of December 31st, obviously you're going to need to back into that number. Part of it was before her death and part yes, was sir. after. Yes. Uh, and that, that brings me to one other quick question, I think. Uh, she had uh, farm income in the trust, and we didn't sell any of the uh, crop until after her death. But does do we have to include a percentage for the year that no. it was growing while she was alive? Or if we didn't sell until after her death, does that all... Uh, go to the beneficiary of the trust. Right. We we do taxes and I mean, most, most, there's always an exception, but most of us do taxes on the cash basis. So it would be when she actually physically received the money, not, um, not a receivable during her time. So it would go in the trust and answer that question. Okay. So that wouldn't, it, you don't have to do a percentage throughout the year. Correct. The and that one, season. we would not do that. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I think that'll no get worries. us started. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye. All right. Again, this is the Dr. Friday Show. If you've got questions concerning taxes or if you're working on taxes or maybe a love letter or two that you've received, you can reach us here in the studio at 615-737-9986, 615-737-9986. Let's get to Robin in the borough. Hey, Robin, can I help? Uh, Yes, Dr. Friday. My question is, my mother is almost 83, and she has no will or anything, and my sister and I tried to get her to do as far as taxing, taxes. You know, her house is paid Mm -hmm. for. My sister and I would inherit it. 
What does she need to do? Well, I'm not an attorney. I'll put that little caveat out there because obviously there's probably some legal things that would be better from the tax standpoint. The biggest thing that comes through in my mind is the potential of having to go through probate, right? I mean, um, right. again, I'm, I'm not an attorney. I mean, if there's an attorney right. listening, they could share with us. But I, I mean, that's the reason I like okay. trust. I really prefer something okay. even as simple as having um, the house. Now she can do PODs on her bank account. And if she has any type of retirement accounts, those are paid on death and she can do it to both of you equally. So those would not have to go through probate or, or anything like that. Uh, but a house, okay. I believe, it would have to be go through probate, be quick claim to the two of you. Uh, um, that's my knowledge, at least this little bout I have on that. There's If you sell it immediately after she passes away or within a few months, you're not really going to have to worry about any tax situation on a house because we get a step up in basis. But you right. will have, I just didn't um, know if the state would take a lot of it without a will. Is she on or, Medicare? Is she, I mean, is she yeah, like in Medicare, Medicare housing or anything? No, no, she's actually at my house recovering from a surgery. Oh, but no, she has awesome. her own home. And okay. oh, yeah, we took care of our mom. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I love it. Um, right, so, the answer to. to your question is no, there is nothing. I mean, the state has a plan. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, again, she needs to have, even if, a, I mean, again, I'm not an attorney, but my understanding is right. as long as there's a basic, uh, someone goes on, does a, even a, a legal Zoom one or something where it comes in and basically says, I want everything split evenly between my two living children or something, whatever verbiage okay. that needs, I mean, you know, but something exactly. is better because if you don't, don't have one then you end up in probate and then there could be people that come in out of the woodwork as far as i'm right. concerned that don't have any and you may not have anyone in the family that would do that but you know i've seen it, just, it happen you know, many times me so it too. does happen me too. Exactly. it does happen so okay. see if you can get mama to at least agree maybe not going into a law office but at least having something where you maybe can have her sign something get it notarized of sound mind and body or whatever they always say on legal right. shows that i watch okay that helps we tried that but i'm going to tell okay. her i've called you and maybe <laughs> all right thank you so no. much Art. i listen no problem, to you sweetie. all the time thank you so thank much thank you for listening bye -bye. i appreciate it bye-bye okay bye-bye all right, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to come back to Brown and Rob. That way we can get spend a little time before my uh, my gentleman on the other end of this uh, phone here will tell me that I need to get off the radio. So we'll be uh, back with you in just a minute with the Dr. Friday Show. All righty, we are back here live in studio. And if you want to join the show again, 615 737 9986 615 737 9986. And why don't we head right back to the phones? And it looks like Bob was the oh, Brown. Brown will be the next one we're going to do. You're right, it was Brown. Hey, Brown. Hey, how you doing? I am doing awesome. What can I do for you? Oh, uh, I had a mother in law that had dementia, she had lived with us for two to three years. We filed on her last year. I think the IRS was saying that they didn't recognize the social security number or something. Um, is, is there any way we can actually get that resolved through someone? She Theoretically, passed. you might be able to. Um, the question will be, and I'm going to be quite honest, having her, she passed away last year and you claimed her as a dependent. When, when did she pass away? Um, around about December. 
Oh, okay. So it's almost the whole year. Um, so your your best bet is, do you have some sort of documentation? You're going to need to be able to prove she was living with you and that you were providing more than 50% of her care. Now, that would not include her Social Security. So if she was receiving Social Security and that's it, then you would be providing that. Yes, we were, we were uh, paying, uh, the family was paying a uh, uh, caretaker uh, company to come in and, you know, was it into her house or went to your own house? It's at our house. Oh, okay. Okay. So she was staying in your house and you had someone coming in to take care of her. Well, that's what the, you know, document, I guess the, the question or what we'll need to do is take a look at the love letter they sent you to see if it was just the matter that they're saying that the social security number wasn't correct. You've been claiming her for a number of years. So I'm sure you have the correct number. Um, and then all we have to do is show justification that, that she was truly a dependent that year, but it sounds like they weren't de denying you dependency. It was more like they were saying that the information provided wasn't correct. I'm guessing here, okay. Brown. I but know, if you want, you can get a hold of us. Yes, go ahead. I know um, Norman Rollins personally. I don't know if you know him. Um, he's uh, with tax alternative. Um, but I'll I'll, uh, I'll seek out help from you all if it's. Which either way, yeah, if you know if you know that person, you just need to have, sometimes it's easier to have somebody on the other side, especially someone that does resolution work to see if it's something that we can resolve. You know, either you either call me or if you've got someone in another firm that works, you know, to be honest with you, it's not going to be a complicated and you don't want to be spending a ton of money because the dependency credit's $500. So, you know, I mean, you don't want to spend 500 to get 500 is all I'm saying. So, you don't, you know. That's really the biggest the biggest question I would have in that situation, you know? Okay. All right. I appreciate okay. it. Thanks. No worries. Thanks, Mike. Bye. All right. Let's hit Bob. Bob in is it Tallahoma? Yes. Hello, Bob. Uh, I have a business that is uh, doing DoorDash. And okay. I was wondering... Uh, what was all these things that he could take off his income tax? That's a great question. And a lot of other people listening probably do DoorDash, Lyft, Uber, uh, any of those. So the truth is basically the miles that he basically commutes to do his job is what he gets paid for. So in DoorDash, usually um, he picks up from, let's just use an example. It may not be where he picks up. Let's say he picks up from Walmart, brings it to my house and then returns back to Walmart. That would be the miles attached to his driving. The big misconception is all the driving around people think that they can do as a deduction. So his best bet is, and DoorDash tracks a lot of that on the statement he gets at the end of the year. But I would suggest if he's doing DoorDash to, to have him download a free app called Mileage IQ or any other mileage tracking app. It doesn't make a difference. And track those same miles on his phone because then he may find that he's getting some extra miles because he should be paid from Walmart to my home back to Walmart, um, you know, would be a, a round trip again uh, on that delivery. And sometimes it doesn't work out quite that way, but he needs to have a very good mileage log. The second thing he can write off would be a portion of his cell phone because usually that's what the app is and he gets his, his deliveries off of that. So he'd be able to claim a portion of his um, cell phone 
on there. That would be the two big things. I don't know if there's anything else required through DoorDash, like a special insurance or anything, but Miles and his cell phone would definitely apply. Okay, that's uh, he has it already on his phone. Oh, good. So, okay, uh, yeah. so that's wonderful. So, uh, yeah, just tell him to make sure he keeps track of his miles, and then he'll a percentage if he's paying for his cell phone bill, a percentage of that. Got you. Okay, I sure appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate you listening. I really do. All right, let's head right. to Steve and my side of town, Columbia. Oh. Hey, uh, <clears throat> I just sold my house this year, and I have a simple income uh, tax. Usually, it's just just one, uh, just one W uh, two. W two. And I need to know what I need to. Uh, how do it? Well, how's that going to affect my income tax this year? Well, you sold your primary home. Let me just make sure before I yes. start babbling. Okay. Um, yes. So. The answer to your question is, is there is a form, a worksheet that's for a home sale uh, that you're going to mm -hmm. need to complete on your tax return. Um, trying ah. to pull up one of mine. So that way they know because there's a credit that you're going to want to take on uh, on your taxes. So you're going to put your W. Do you do it electronically or are you a paper guy still? Yes, I do. I was doing e-file and I was just wondering if okay. I just worked it through. I've been able to file free for all these years. And, and uh, I don't you know, think this should change it. I don't think this, I mean, okay. as far as I know, I mean, again, I'm not absolutely sure what they charge and don't charge for, but it seems like a home. So the home sale worksheet is, let's see if I can find the number here. I was pulling one up. Um, it just says use this worksheet for, so it's basically, you should be able to find it in your, in, in the forms there. If you type in home sale mm -hmm. worksheet and basically what it's okay. going to ask is the address the date the former home was purchased, the date you sold it, the selling price, and don't forget to include all the commissions and all the fees they charged you, you know, on that, and then your purchase uh -huh. price. Um, and again, if uh -huh. there was any fees, those would all mm -hmm. be on there. And then whatever the gain is, so let me use these examples for you, but they don't apply necessarily. Let's just say you sold the house for 500,000 and you purchased the house for 200,000 and you had 50,000 in um, closing cost fees, you would pay zero tax. Are you single or married? Yeah. I'm single. Okay, so you have uh, a $250,000 exclusion above whatever you sold it for. So whatever you paid for <laughs> plus 250 will get you zero. Did you sell it for more than that? Well, so, oh, heck no. I okay. actually, okay. I, I sold it for only 30 and, and ended up, ended up it got damaged and, and I got some health problems. I ended up selling it for, for less than that. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I'm not even too sure, but it was your primary home. Yeah, you were living. Okay, did you have insurance claim or something, or no? No, uh, no, okay. <laughs> no. It got, it got, it got dam, it got damaged to where my insurance wouldn't wouldn't cover it. They they said they said mudslide. They don't oh cover. Oh my gosh! Oh, you're right. They don't in some cases. I know. I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I am sorry to hear that, Steve. But the good news is, is that it's going to be a zero tax. Not that you had expected to pay th since you paid more for it in the first place. Not my normal situation, may I tell you? But um, I know. but you're still gonna want to put it on your return because when you sold it, that will report to the IRS, and they're gonna not know what you paid for it. They're only gonna know what you sold it for, and you don't want them to come mm -hmm. back and think that there's capital gains. I see. Okay. 
All right. That makes sense. So, but yeah, and that has to do with all the way back to when I bought it because I ended up, okay, you know, it was paid off for several years before. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, before, it doesn't make a difference. But if you brought it twenty yeah. years ago for thirty grand and you sold it for ten, well, you're upside mm-hmm. down. Unfortunately, we can't take losses on our primary home. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You just keep okay. getting hit, don't oh, you, you buddy? <laughs> you can't win you for can't losing in this situation. Yeah. Well, all right. Sorry. All right. All right, well, buddy. So, Thanks. That, that was what I was wanting to know is the main thing was, was, was where to look for that. And that would be, uh, like just file as normal and it should yes. throw me into that. No. Yeah. You'll be fine. No. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be right. fine. Thanks yeah. You don't have to worry about it. All right. Thanks, Steve. All right. We're going to take our second break here. If you want, you can join the show at 615-737-9986. Sorry, 615-737-9986. We'll be right back with the Dr. Friday Show. All righty. We are back live here in studio this wonderful Saturday. And don't forget, March 15th is around the corner for all of you that do partnership returns and or LL um, corporations, sub S corporations, especially the March 15th is your deadline or file an extension. All right. We're going to head back to the phones and we're going to be going to Lisa. Lisa, what can I do for you, sweetheart? I'm calling because my husband and his sister inherited a house from their parents. They've had it in their name now for nearly 20 years. My mother-in-law died four years ago. My sister-in-law had moved in right before that. She has her own home, but moved in this house. Um, And now it's impossible to get her to leave the house. In the meantime, the roof is bad. The sewer system has failed. And there's rot on one wall where the fireplace is. It's kind of falling in. We also don't seem to find a way to be able to repair it because she won't leave it. What can we do? Well, I am not an expert on that kind of situation. I will be honest with you. I mean, the only way to really do it would be get the house condemned. And I don't know if you want to actually do something like that, but I mean, I'm I'm more reaching into what I might consider. I mean, getting it repaired, theoretically, you could probably work around her to a point. You might be able to block off parts of the home, but is that Mm -hmm. really beneficial to do if, if really you, you know, I mean, if we really need to get her out and just sell the house, you know, it might be better for somebody to sell it and then do it, but she's not going to sign off on selling it since she owns half the home. Correct. That's correct. And the other issue is the other property that was across the road from the house, my husband has owned the farm for years, but uh, there was a shop there that he had had tools and four wheelers and things in. And she went over one night and started the fire which she said was just to burn stuff. Anyway, she burned everything. And so we didn't have any insurance on that. But it seems to us that that alone should make her willing to cooperate. But we don't know. You would think so. But I think you might need to consider, I mean, honestly, I mean, she may not be even one that should be living on her own. I mean, I'm just saying, I don't know her situation. I'm far from being a, a medical doctor. So um, my, mm-hmm. my suggestion would be probably contacting an attorney because there may be a way of, of doing something legally, um, with, with getting her out of the, the house and, you know, into a, a safer position possibly. Cause it sounds like she may not be a person that should be actually living on her own. If she's doing things like that, it, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know how old she is, but it just sounds like she mm-hmm. might be not oh, all she's there. 65. Oh, she's, she's 65. not that old, but no, she isn't. 
Well, I appreciate your help because we can't no determine what to do either. And I listened to you lots of Saturday afternoons, and I thought maybe she'll yeah. know. I, I would love to help. tell you. I would I would suggest seriously considering if there's any attorneys down in that. I don't know where she lives or anything. Someone local that might be able to help you a little bit more with what other options might be in there. I mean, condemning it would be probably your best bet, but I, you still have to get someone to come in and say that there's black mold in it. So it sounds like there could be, um, and that's yeah. not healthy for anyone to live in. Therefore, the house is condemned until it's fixed, and that would have to get her out of the house to do okay. that. Well, I haven't right. thought of that, but at least I've got another idea. Thank Something you. Something to think of. Thanks, sweetheart. All right. Let's head on to Richard and Alexander. Hello, Richard. Hello. What can I do for you? Uh, yeah, yeah, Dr. Friday, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I, I bought a piece of investment property, and it was uh, worth about 90000 on you know, taxes. At least that's what they're taxing me on. And I paid about sixty, And I was thinking... I don't have time to fix it up and really don't want to. It's in need of some repair. And I was thinking about donating that. And my question is, if I donate that property and they sell it for less than what I've got in it, can I uh, deduct that on my taxes? Or where would I stand tax-wise? If you donate it to a legitimate, first I have to say it has to be to a true nonprofit, you would donate mm-hmm. it at the value that the fair market value is, what the appraisal value, not what you pay, but what the current appraisal value would be. Now, I don't know if it's going to be more or less if it's if that's the case, but that's the value you would turn it into, and then you would write that off on your Schedule A as a donation, and then they will do whatever they want to do with it. Oh, okay. Well, uh, well the appraisal value so far is just from the tax assessors. In fact, right. it's no, got would, an increase yeah, on it. Yeah, you would have a, I mean, I would actually get a, either um, a serve, I mean, an actual appraiser to come or a real estate mm-hmm. appraiser that can give you a letter of appraisal, um, you know, something that would give you something in the area that would say, what is the actual, because property tax appraisals are nine times yeah. out of 10, much lower than they should be, you know? Yeah, that's, they're running a business. <laughs> they're yeah, making exactly. a profit. <laughs> they're making a profit on that one. So my opinion would be is to get an actual, either a real, a local real estate agent that knows the area or something else. Okay, but if again, uh, if it was less than, I could deduct that or not deduct that. You can't. I mean, you you would only be able to deduct the value of the property that you're donating. Or how much you pay so, for whichever is higher. There's no way of taking a loss because the donation value is going to be true value that you paid or the value that is a step up in basis based on current values. Either way, you're not going to get it as like a loss because you're going to donate it and you're not going to lose money on that donation. Okay. I Does appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. Mm-hmm. He's like, is that what I wanted to hear? But I understand what you're saying. Okay, so if you have a question, we're running down to the latter part of the show, but with a few more minutes, you can reach us here at 615-737-9986-615-737-9986, talking about taxes. And what the gentleman that was on the phone did bring up, keep in mind that sometimes we have things like stock or property or land that has appreciated and you really don't want to sell it because you don't want to deal with the capital gains or, or any of that. Um, you can donate that to a nonprofit. It has to be a legitimate nonprofit. Then you can get the value, the current value of many times people will do that with highly appreciated stock. 
or land, they'll donate a portion of it. And that way they can get the charitable contribution. And I know it's a lot more this year nowadays than others, but it is a way of giving money to charity um, that you have. The other way for individuals that are 70 and a half and higher, this is only for individuals that are 70 and a half or higher. Um, you have the qualified charitable deduction. We've covered this a lot with several people. And I mean, I was talking to um, a couple of my clients, obviously, as they come through and we're talking about this and many of them are just used to writing their checks, right? They just write the check because it's what we've always done. But, you know, I mean, I have great givers and I've had some people that give seven, eight, nine thousand $9,000 a year to their church, the same organization. And in one case, we did a thing, how much it would have been if he had done it through his, I, um, his uh, required minimum distributions, RMDs, or if he had taken it out of his checkbook and paid it um, directly through. Now, keep in mind, he wasn't able to itemize because eight grand on a, a married couple or even a single individual wasn't as much as the standard deduction. So we took it out. And if you do it through your required minimum distribution, you take that $8,000, talk to your financial guy, the, the person that handles your uh, RMDs. And they would write a check and give it to you to give to the church. So if that happened, he would have saved twenty eight hundred dollars uh, by doing that. Um, so it was well worth this individual. Now, this individual isn't in the 12 percent tax bracket. But um, that being said, it we did it again. And there was another one, the same story, but she only had fifty five hundred that she had done again, did not itemize, had a lower income bracket. But it was still $800 that she saved by doing it through her qualified charitable deduction through her RMD versus not being able to itemize it at all and paying tax on all the money. So if you have an older parent that gives money to a church every month, um, or you have a friend or it's you yourself, they have to be 70 and a half. They need to go talk to the custodial over their um, IRA. At most people are at that point are an IRA, but it could be a 401k, I suppose, but most likely it's an IRA. And then they need to have that money come out directly to the charity instead of being taken from there, put in their checkbook, and then writing the check. It comes out the same way, guys. It just comes out directly through the RMD from there, and it becomes 100% tax deductible versus trying to itemize, which many people cannot do. It's just not in the current tax code. And anyways, I have some people, the gentleman I was talking about, he was so funny because he's like, wait, if I do that, I could have given $10,000 instead of eight. And they, you know, he, he was trying to find new ways that he could even give more because it, he wasn't looking to put money in his pocket. He was just looking to find what ways he could do something a little bit more. So it was, it was a, a humorous way of, of looking at the entire thing. I'm trying to save him tax dollars. He's trying to find out ways he can give the money back to the charities he wants. So it worked out as a win-win situation. So if you have someone, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, talk to your tax people. I'm sure they're going to be able to. If they don't, you can always give our office a call and we'll be more than glad to at least send you in the right direction to talk to um, a certified financial planner or whoever's handling your custodial ship on your RMDs. So if you want, you can also join the show if you've got a question at 615-737-9986, 615-737-9986. We're going to take our last break here in a second. And then when we come back from that one, we'll get to some of your phone calls. But also, if you want, you can also email Friday at drfriday.com or check me out on the web at drfriday.com. Now, we'll take a quick break and we get back. We'll hit the phone lines. This is the Dr. Friday Show. Thank you. 
righty. We are live here in studio. And if you want to join the show, you can at 615-737-9986, 615-737-9986. Why don't we go right back to the phone lines, which I love that you guys are calling Gary in Nashville. Hey, Gary, what can I do for you? Yes, Dr. Friday. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it very much. I enjoy your show. Um, what I was calling about, I've had extensive uh, uh, house damage to the storm this past week. The adjusters come out, the adjuster, insurance adjusters come out and uh, said, uh, I think we can probably do a replacement on a lot of your damage. We'll send you a check for that. Uh, if that check, is it considered income? Or if I don't use all of it for the repairs, the, the excess of that check, is it considered income? No, it basically is not either direction. No, it's not income because it's insurance money that you've paid with after-tax dollars, theoretically, because we can't write off our insurance on our primary homes. So it is not income. Uh, in theory, if the home is totally damaged then you try to sell it, then you'd have to claim that as reimbursement. Um, but in your case, if you don't use every dollar and you still bring it back to the standard that it was, then you would have no taxable income and the home is still valued at what it was. Does that help? Okay. That's very good. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Let's hit Tom in Brentwood. Good afternoon. I have a quick question concerning qualified charitable distributions. Okay. It was my understanding that a QCD could only be made from a traditional IRA, but yet I think I heard you say it can be include a 401k. Well, theoretically, if you're 70 and a half, in theory, nowadays, of course, the new RMD date is what, 73? But the law never changed for QCD. So at 70 and a half, if you're, maybe I should have clarified that. If you were required to be making RMDs at 70 and a half, a 401k would have had to, unless you were still working for that company. Most people, when you retire, move the 401ks to IRAs. But RMDs are RMDs. Some people do take RMDs after the age and keep them in the 401k. Okay, um, but I was under the impression that if RMD, excuse me, a qualified charitable distribution could only be made from a traditional IRA, that it could not be made from a 401k, assuming you meet all the rest of the qualifications. Right. Well, my under, and again, I'm going to put a little caveat, Tom. I'm not a financial planner, so I'm not going to be, but my understanding is when you hit the age of whatever that age is where you have to do required minimum distributions, 401ks are part of that calculation. Therefore, if the money there, it is an RMD because you have to take an RMD from the 401k. Again, making a few assumptions, you're already retired, you're not still working for that company, et cetera, et cetera. 401 at the time that you have to stay taking required minimum distribution. So I'm not going to probably be the best. I'm not going to probably debate the, the attitude. You might be correct as far as the terminology. Maybe I should have said from a retirement account. But uh, once you hit the age, whatever age that is, and you're no longer working for that company, a 401k does meet that you have to take RMDs from them. Okay. That, Thank you very that much. That part I know. Thanks, Tom. All right. Hopefully I'm not confusing. And again, guys, I don't want to get too much into Tom. Maybe the verbiage may be a hundred percent correct. I'm not going to, um, I'm not a financial planner. So if you, again, I'm going to say, if you are um, at the age 
where you are taking, even nowadays, if 73, I guess the point I wanted to make was if you're 73 and that's when you have to take your RMDs, you can do QCDs at 70 and a half and start taking required minimum distributions at that age, according to the law. Now, I'm not a financial planner. I'm not saying that's the best thing to do. Um, and I'm certainly not going to say I, I know everything about that because obviously taxes are my expertise. It, it, but I would definitely suggest if you're within that age group and you know somebody or, or if you're the person themselves, go talk to your financial planner or whoever handles your required minimum distributions. Bring up the topic because they should be truly the experts, but it will save you tax dollars if you can do it. I guess that's probably the best answer on that question because Tom may be correct at the term, but I do know... I have some clients that their money is still in a 401k. They are fully retired. And when they calculate the required minimum distributions, they have to add in that 401k. So maybe it's not being distributed from the 401k, but overall numbers have to be for the percentage. That being said, that's enough of that. All right. So if you've got questions, uh, we're getting close to the end of the show. But if you've got questions, um, you can certainly give us a call in our office at 615-367-0819, 615-367-0819. If you are working on your taxes, just make sure that you're double checking your information. Simple things as Mr. Inter Social security numbers, number one typo is uh, putting the information in in the first place wrong. So transposing a number on your tax return is very popular. I will tell you that happens. And, you know, that's when the IRS has the ability to come and take a look and change something on our returns. So we don't want that to happen. So just double check your numbers, make sure everything is going the right direction, that you're able to make sure that you have, um, if, it, if there's a dependent on your tax return, make sure you're really required or allowed or able to file. Sometimes kids file their own tax returns. I'm going to be quite honest with you. A lot of times people don't seem to recognize that, uh, but sometimes they do file their own tax returns and then you try to claim them as a dependent and then it gets kicked back out. Um, so, you know, communication with dependents that you have, if, uh, if you're claiming a parent or someone like that, make sure that that child or that person knows that they're being claimed. We ran into a lot of that during the whole COVID time um, where people were claiming their parents. And a lot of times the parents didn't even really know that they were being claimed. Um, you know, so it's just, you know, they need to make sure that if they are a dependent, they should. And if they don't require filing tax returns, that's perfectly fine as well. Just again, making sure the information that you input into your system is going to match what the IRS has for their system. And that's really all it comes down to just making sure that all the information is correct and that we have, you know, what we need when we have it and doing on that situation. Um, if you have a question, then you can, again, you can email Friday at drfriday.com or you can um, give us a call at the office on Monday at 615-367-0819. Many of you guys probably hear my little puppy dog, my little girl barking outside, uh, but uh, she's making sure everything's staying nice and safe in the background there. But um, if you need um, a a tax appointment, I will tell you that we are at this point full unless you're a returning tax client. We always have room for our returning clients, just sometimes new clients 
at this point, we, we don't have any openings for taking on new clients for this particular tax year. So if you uh, need some assistance in doing taxes, we probably could give you some referrals um, to see if you can uh, get some help with you on that. Um, but again, if you want to reach us, 615-367-0819, 615-367-0819, or you can email Friday at drfriday.com. If you have questions while you're working on your taxes, you can also email Friday at drfriday.com. We'll do our best to get back with you on that information so that you can um, hopefully at least have a direction to head. If you're something, you know, coming up that you need, then we'll be able to, you know, at least give you the IRS code or um, an expert that may be able to give you better information on what or how to do something. Cause I don't want, you know, no one wants to file their taxes and have errors or make educated guesses on it. That's never a good idea. Let me tell you, we do not ever want to make an educated guess on a tax return. Never a good thing. So um, if you are working on your taxes, remember again, one more time, if you are a partnership or a 1120S, then um, you have a deadline of this coming Wednesday, the 15th of March is the deadline for those. If you do not file, the penalties can be a quite hefty, hefty depending on the number of partners. And, um, and it's an easy thing, file an extension. And then that way, if you file it late, in most cases, there's no money due with either the 1120S or the 1065s because they're passed through companies that pass on to the actual shareholders. So that way, make sure that you have filed an extension and you'd be able to not have any penalties. That's the big thing. And then of course, uh, if you are filing an extension, don't forget that you do have franchise excise in the state of Tennessee due by the 415 or 418 deadline. Um, and with an extension to the state, they want you to pay the same as last year or a minimum of $100. You cannot just file an extension without payment. It's not really considered an extension in Tennessee. So we all have a minimum of $100 due. So paying that in advance is going to save you some pain and suffering later because no one likes to have to pay extra money to Uncle Sam or to the state for anything. All right. Phone number again, 615 367-0819. Email Friday like the day of the week at drfriday.com. Or you can check me out of the web, drfriday.com. I hope you guys are enjoying this Saturday. It's actually a beautiful day outside. And I hope you guys work on your taxes and have some fun. Call you later.